Hey everyone, before we launch into this episode, I just want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. If you would ever like to support this podcast, you can go to calebmore.tv and there's a donation button there. Or if you would ever just like me to come and speak to your church, uh, youth groups, I really have a passion for youth and student ministry, help them, helping them know about apologetics and how we can defend our faith, you can contact me through that as well. Now, for today, you might remember on the news not too long ago, there were some Mormons who were attacked by a drug cartel. Some of these are from the LeBaron family. Well, today we have Lila LeBaron. She grew up uh, in a polygamous group in Chihuahua, Mexico, and she's going to tell us all about her story, how she found Jesus, how she escaped the polygamous lifestyle, and you are going to want to listen to this one. So stay tuned, and thanks again for listening. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards, where we like to look at life, faith, and culture from a different angle. We have a a really fascinating guest today. We have Lila, and I met Lila years ago. She travels with a music group called Adams Road, and Adams Road is made up of former Mormons. Now, of that group, Lila, she's a former Mormon, but she's actually a former fundamental Mormon. Is that correct, Lila? Yes, that's correct. Well, thank you so much for taking time to be on here. Uh, In case you guys have never heard Adam's Road before, Lila has an incredible singing voice, and God has given her amazing talent in that. And we even brought you guys to Tulsa one time when you were coming through the area and uh, did a show uh, at Parkview Baptist. So I I, I was telling her um, before we got this started that one of my dreams, something that I would like to do when I'm done pastoring, is, and I don't know why this is something I want to do. It's just something always God's laid on my heart. And uh, I was really involved in following the Warren Jeff story and hearing all about what these people went through in these polygamous communities. And I just felt a real strong pull, like somebody should be doing something there. And there's not very many ministries that are focused on reaching out to those polygamous groups but Lila, that's kind of your story. You grew up in a polygamist environment, didn't you? Correct. Yeah, and thank you so much for this opportunity, Caleb. I'm really excited to share what God has done in my life. And it's kind of a crazy journey, but just follow me through it. I, I, yeah, and that's what we can't wait to hear. Now, it's not just any polygamist family that you grew up into. It was kind of one of the very renowned, widely known ones. Can you tell us a little bit about this group that you were a part of? Yeah, of course, I'd love to. So this um, polygamous community actually is called Church of the Firstborn of of the Fullness of Time. And so it actually started in the 1920s. And um, it started by my great-great-grandfather, Alma Dyer LeBaron. And and the community, Colonia LeBaron, which is my last name, is actually became a founded as a community in 1950. And so it is, uh, it's different from the LDS church, and it's different from the FLDS church. And so okay. it's a completely uh, different group in Chihuahua, Mexico. And, and so uh, were you born a Mexican citizen? Were you born in Chihuahua, Mexico? 
Yes. So I was born and raised in Chihuahua, Mexico, and I grew up speaking English because it's actually an English-speaking community in Mexico. So my friends, my family, they all spoke English, but I actually got put into a public school in uh, a Spanish-speaking school. So that's how I was kind of forced to to learn Spanish. (laughs) So this is, you say it's different from the fundamental Mormon. And I know that fundamental is different from regular Mormonism. What set this group apart? Is it just who you claim to have as a prophet? Yes, very much has to do with uh, the prophet of the community. It's actually Joel F. LeBaron. Joel Franklin LeBaron was the prophet of the community. And crazy background with that, um, the prophet of the community was actually murdered by his brother, Ervil LeBaron. So if you look this up online, you'll find the LeBaron story. And so there was that murder, and then there's still not a prophet of the community now to this day. Some people said it was supposed to be my father, Samuel LeBaron, but he never stepped up to the plate. I mean, it's pretty crazy what happened. I don't think anybody would want to. (laughs) Right, yeah, especially if the former prophet gets killed. Who wants? Like Nobody's excited to jump in there and take that spot. Um, So what was it like growing up in that? Did did your dad have multiple wives? Do you have brothers and sisters from other families? Yes, so I... I'm actually the 13th child out of 14 just from my mother. So my father has um, four wives. And in total, we're all 33 children that my father has now. You, you have, so, yeah, 32 brothers and sisters. Yes. Where so do you, really big yeah, family. yeah. Where do you lie in that uh, family group? Are you one of the older ones? Or are you one of the younger ones? Definitely one of, the, one of the younger ones, so I'm probably like the fifth youngest out of those 33. Do you keep in contact with them? Do you, do you have a friendship with many of them? I try to. Um, I keep in contact with uh, the, my brothers and sisters that are closer to my age, and also especially within the 14 children from my mother. I try to keep in contact with them. But I don't have very good relationships with my brothers right now, but I've been really praying for them. I'm Me and a older half-sister are the only Christians out of those 33. Oh, wow. And so you can imagine there's just a lot of uh, different feelings that come with uh, my brothers being either fundamental Mormons or atheists, agnostics, or having sisters that are in new agey, um, new age practices so there's many, a lot of different things. <laughs> how many of, of your brothers and sisters have stayed in that community? Because it says, sounds like you have some that are like atheists and some that are new age. So it sounds like a lot of them have left. And yes. only maybe one other one is a Christian. How many have actually stayed in? Uh, I would say there's a lot of Jack Mormons in my family. But for the most part, I, there's probably only like a handful of strong, like fundamental Mormons from that community that actually believe in that Church of the Firstborn. Yeah. Um, but I would say a lot of the the people in my community are kind of confused because there's not a prophet there to explain things to them and to speak to them from God directly. And so there's a lot of uh, kind of confusion in the community. A lot of people 
leaving it and becoming like atheists or agnostics. Now, um, how old were you when you were able to, I I don't want to get to how you escaped, um, but I'm just curious, uh, how long did you live in this community for? So I lived there my entire life up until five years ago when I actually joined the ministry. So I'll just kind of start with my childhood, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Go ahead. Yeah, so just growing up, um, I mean, my father had many wives, and that's everything that, that I knew. And when I was around 10 years old, my mom and dad actually got divorced And a lot of that had to do with the way that my father treated my brothers and sisters and my mother. He was unfortunately very physically abusive to them and emotionally and spiritually abusive to my mother. And so just growing up, the way that I saw a father was very kind of confused. Like my father was very distant and he was he would discipline my brothers in a way that I watched it happen and he would like beat them to the point that I was afraid for their lives. And so as a kid, I just remember like just feeling so much fear for my father. And like, I didn't know what it was like to have an actual like relationship with a father. And so I think I had a lot of just emptiness in my heart and a lot of confusion as a kid and the way that I saw my father treating my mother um, was just very, it was just very sad to see as a kid. And my mom struggled with depression, and she was just really broken at that time of the divorce. And for her to make that decision to leave, my father was huge and came with a lot of struggles for her. My father threatened to just drop her off in the mountains and leave her and just take the kids and a lot of that stuff I didn't know until I was older because I was just 10 years old. But um, there's just a lot of darkness in my community, a lot of brokenness um, with the drug cartels and and just the darkness that comes with that religion of all the wives. There's jealousy, there's strife, there's um, just a lot of tension within the families and I did notice that as a kid, and I think that's yeah. a huge part of why I was seeking for something else. <laughs> I just saw that Salt Lake City reduced the punishment for polygamous marriages, and um, they. It, it seems, and I know some Mormons who look forward to the day that polygamy would be restored, because supposedly it was an everlasting doctrine. It was supposed to be around forever. And that's one of the claims that the fundamentals will make is like, hey, we, we maintained this, what was supposed to be everlasting, and they consider themselves the real Mormons. But your experience, I think, with polygamy is what most people in polygamy experience. There's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of control. And there's a lot of loneliness. Mm-hmm. It's strange being in that large of a family and being that alone because nobody's getting mm-hmm. the attention maybe that they need to get. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's got to be hard for one guy to try to maintain some sense of control over his family. And so it turns violent very quickly. Now, is this group still in Chihuahua, mm-hmm. Mexico? It is. Yes, it's still there. Wow. Uh, what kind of, an, now when I think, when I close my eyes and this could be, this could be totally wrong, but when I close my eyes, I think of not a nice town, like some rough homes, 
that have seen maybe some better days and everybody dressed in like prairie outfits, you know, long skirts and their head covers. Is that, am I totally wrong on that or is there some truth to that? Well, there is some truth to that. Um, it probably not like the coverings and that kind of stuff and long dresses that you would think. I mean, it definitely very modest, um, but yes, a very poor area and just like, uh, it was close to like the Mexican communities and it's a very kind of deserty area with like some mountain range. Um, but just like dirt roads, like goats, chickens, right. farming. Yeah. My father had big pecan orchards and that's how he, um, made his living for, uh, I guess providing for the children. And like we used to help him in the pecan orchards and, and harvest the pecans and take care of sheep and actually even herd sheep. So that kind of creates a picture that you yeah. can. So you were shepherds and farmers, right? Like, so <laughs> yeah. uh, lots of manual labor. Um, were, were you excited to be a part of that group for a while? Where, I mean, did you look forward and were you indoctrinated with the idea that I can't wait to find a husband even if he already has other wives? Or did you always kind of feel like that was not something you wanted? Yeah, I guess I kind of had that idea in my head as a child was the fact that I might be a second wife. And I was kind of like, oh, well, well, if God wants me to do that, then I'm open to it, like as a kid, because it's just what I saw. And but honestly, the idea of marriage kind of frightened me. And I don't feel like that's how it should be, obviously. But I was afraid because when I saw the relationship that my father and my mother had with his other wives as well, it was very, I don't know, like it just scared me to death <laughs> to get married. Yeah. But, Go ahead. It doesn't sound like but, when I was 10 years old, my mom and dad got divorced. Sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, you know, your mom and dad got divorced when you were 10. Go ahead. I, I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> no, that's good. So then I, my aunt and uncle actually felt called from the United States to come down to this polygamous community. My aunt being the sister of my father who got saved um, when she was in her thirties or so she got saved. And then she actually moved down to Mexico to start a, a Christian Bible study in their community. I mean, yeah, in her hometown community in Mexico. And so that's where I got introduced to the Bible. What kind of, was there much Bible reading when you were growing up? I mean, cause sometimes we think a polygamous family is full of faith. There's the book of Mormon teaching all the time. But did you really get much education or was it kind of just, this is the way it is? We read the Book of Mormon a lot. I remember the Book of Mormon and I remember like them mentioning about Jesus and, and some stories from the Old Testament in the Bible, but I never like got introduced to the New Testament as a kid. Really? Not that I remember. Right. Yeah. Until I started going to the Christian Bible study with my aunt and uncle. <laughs> Reading the New Testament is problematic uh, for those kind of faiths. There's a lot of content in there that, wait a minute, you know, it, like this is this doesn't seem right. So, when you when you first started going to a Christian uh, Bible study, what what were your first impressions? Were were you nervous to be in there? Did you feel like you were doing something wrong? 
Um, I actually didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong because, first of all, my mom took us to the Bible study, me, my younger brother, and my older sister. And so I figured if my mom was taking me, then it was a good place to go. And I thank God for my mom doing that because she was at the point of her life where she was really seeking for something other than what she had because somebody asked her a question um, like, who is Jesus? And she was going to teach these kids about who Jesus was, and she didn't know what to teach them. And so that kind of like just opened this whole new door in her mind to like seek for Jesus. And so when this Bible study was being hosted in the community, she was like, well, I want to go there because these these Christians say that they know Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) And so when I started going there, it was a very happy environment. And my aunt and uncle, Mike and Rosa Abate, they're very welcoming and loving. And that was a huge part that played in my in my life to prepare me for for, um, just receiving God's love. So you say it's only been about five years since you left that community. How old are you now? Can I ask? I'm 24. Okay. Wow. So yeah, you're 19 years old. I mean, that's some really formative years that you spent most of it in that community. Mm -hmm. And through this Bible study, you began to get introduced to Jesus. Tell me about that moment when was there a, a light bulb or was it a slow progression where you like I think I need to get out of here <laughs> I would say it was a slow progression definitely yeah. um my uncle Mike he would just like play worship songs and he would um just worship God just with his guitar and like he didn't even really have a nice voice if you're listening Mike I'm sorry but, but it wasn't your voice or any like experience that just drew me to Jesus. It was his word. Like you were, he was singing God's word and I was listening and I was hearing this love of God that was shown through Jesus. And every time I heard the name of Jesus, it just hit me to the chest. Like it, it convicted me. Yeah. And And because in Mormonism, they don't really talk so much about Jesus. But every time I heard his name and that he died for me, it was the reality of my sin. And I even knew I was a sinner at that young age, 10 years old. Like God had just started to draw me to himself. So you get introduced to that around 10, but you don't leave till you're 19. What what is that? Actually, a correction there. Um, I... I got saved when I was 13 years okay. old, um, but I actually, I got saved and I stayed there in that community as a, a born again Christian. Um, and then I started helping my aunt and uncle in that community for several years before I joined Adams Road. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you stayed in, in that community trying to share the gospel with <laughs> friends and family. Were, were they receptive or were you kind of... Um, brushed aside as being different? Definitely brushed aside. I had some support from my mother because she was going through the process with me um, of learning about who Jesus is and what he did for me. But for the most part, the community kind of saw me as 
oh, she's a Christian and we're Christian too. So she's just kind of limiting herself to the fullness of the truth. And so I was kind of not really taken very serious. I'm surprised. Did they ever call you an apostate or threaten you with outer darkness or any of those scare words that Mormons use? No, they actually didn't, probably because I was uh, young when I started right. to started that process. And also because they weren't very confrontational because there wasn't a prophet there to be like, this person needs to go, you oh, know. True. They were kind of lost themselves. Yeah. And it sounds like they're still kind of lost, still waiting for a new prophet to come, waiting for somebody to step up. Yeah. Now, what is, what is the, what's the connection between this group and, and I know you told me the name of it, but it's a long one. And I always joke, the longer the name of a church, usually the worse the theology is. Like Morning Star, Southern Universal, Baptist, Independent, Foursquare. They got really long names, <laughs> usually really bad theology. But what is the connection between this group? How far removed from Joseph Smith was it? Is there, can it trace its kind of like, like, well, we branched off because this person or that person. Does it go back to Brigham Young and a little bit after that? Do you know? That's a great question. I actually don't know how to answer that. Yeah. But I would say this um, community, Church of the Firstborn, a fullness of time, um, would probably hold more closer to the teachings of Joseph Smith when it comes to polygamy, yeah. more so than the LDS Church. Now, I, I'm just curious, did... Did you see positive aspects of polygamy? Because um, the, the television shows that have been popular that show it tend to show how great and wonderful it is. Do you think it's something that God might not agree with but should be allowed? Or do you just think I, it's destructive all the way through? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I mean, as a kid, I, I liked the fact that I had lots of friends to play with that were my family members. And so the big family was, it was nice uh, to have those friendships. But um, as far as it comes to what God's word says, um, I've done a lot of research on if polygamy, like, because there is aspects in the Old Testament where it, people had many wives. <laughs> And, and it doesn't really talk that much about it in the New Testament. But as I go through the, the different um, chapters and stuff of the Old Testament that talks about polygamy, it's usually not a very good example, <laughs> like yeah. Abraham and Sarah. I always felt like it was something that man created yeah. and God kind of allowed, <laughs> or he just kind of looked over but it wasn't God's plan and purpose from the beginning. Right. What, what was, uh, I imagine coming from, now it's not like you lived in the backwoods where there was no television or anything like that, but were you cut off from much of civilization? Did they try to keep it kind of closed off to protect you? I would you? say yes. Yeah. Yes. I remember there was this built-in fear to me that, in me that if I left to the United States, then the destruction would come and the end of the, like Jesus will come back and the United States was going to be destroyed. So you needed to stay in this community close to the mountains. And we had like, um, 
storage areas where we had food packed up and like anything you would need in case you needed to flee to the mountains for the, for the end of the time. And so there was that fear in me that like, if Jesus came back, then it's like a scary, scary thing. Right. As a kid, I remember that. Being terrified of Jesus. Oh no, he's coming. Right. That's, that's <laughs> yes. the opposite. That's the opposite. We should be excited. Like, yay, not run for the hills. Here comes our savior. Um, right. Yeah. So it, it, did fear just play a big role in the community in general? Fear of speaking out, fear of Jesus coming? Is, it sounds like fear plays a big role. Um, I, I think so. And maybe that was just my understanding as a kid and the way it came across. But I just didn't know who Jesus was. And I didn't even know that he died for my sins and that I could be forgiven completely. You mentioned the cartel. Um is there some role that the cartel and like the violence of the prophet being killed is is there is there a history of violence in this community? There is, yes. So about 10 years ago around that time, um actually two of my cousins that are in that uh, Mormon church in Chihuahua, Mexico were actually murdered by the drug cartels. So it, it was a really scary time when the drug cartels were really invading um, close to the borderline. And our community is all about um, keeping Mexico safe. And so they were doing protests to the government because there were so many like kidnappings happening and just shootouts and just a lot of corruption even within the government. And so my community started protesting to the government for that and that made them a target and so they were actually two of my cousins were murdered by the drug cartels in my community and there was like roadblocks in my community and like um federales around that would just like shut down the community after 10 and so it was a really scary time but also just like a couple months ago um the sonora shooting mm. for Community La Mora was one of my cousins that was actually involved when the nine were murdered that were shot down in their vehicles um, by the drug cartels. Wow. And we believe there might be some connections there with uh, the drug cartels targeting them specifically. And so there is um, definitely history with, with that violence. Yeah, that was real recent. And that mm-hmm. has, wow, yeah, I didn't realize that. I, I knew they were... LDS or Mormon in a general sense, but that attachment to your community. Wow. Yes. So La Mora is actually a sister community to Colonial LeBaron in Chihuahua and Sonora. So there's a lot of uh, family relations that, that are there. Yeah. Now, yeah. Why, why Mexico? Why didn't they stay in the U.S. where <laughs> they might be a little bit more protected? I mean, some polygamous groups did and there's a lot more risk that comes with there. it because polygamy is um, not legal in the United States, and it isn't legal in Mexico either, but the Mexicans don't really do anything about it. There's a lot more flexibility that comes with just being in Mexico, uh, and also because they believe that it would the United States would be destroyed, and so that's why they went to Mexico where they believed it might be safer, which is kind of ironic. Yeah. The... Uh... What was, as you became a Christian and you heard about Jesus and he became your savior, um, when you began to 
think about leaving that community or when you stepped out for the first time? What were some of the things that struck you the most about just how different everything else was? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Yeah, when I started going through that journey to from religion, from Mormonism to Jesus, as I began to, to read the New Testament and really come to know that I could be fully and completely forgiven by the blood of Jesus and what he did for me on the cross, and then realizing that I didn't have to fear and I didn't have to be afraid of a father. And that was a huge kind of uh, journey that I had to go through with me and God was just realizing that this heavenly father, he wasn't like my earthly father. And just yeah. like in first John four eighteen, it says there is no fear in love, but perfect love. It casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so to get to the point where I could trust my Heavenly Father was a huge step for me and realizing the difference of that, of that love that, is, that, was, uncon that was conditional um, depending on if I was good enough, but realizing that God's love is conditional because it's what Jesus did for us. And so that was a huge difference for me and also... It didn't even matter what was wrong with Mormonism for me because when I began to taste the living water and the bread of life that Jesus was offering me, like that's all that mattered to me. And it wasn't like seeing the differences of Mormonism and Christianity. It was just, wow, Jesus is so right. right. And his love is so feeling and his spirit, it made its home in me. And I could see through spiritual eyes. I could, I could hear the Holy Spirit. Um, it's still small voice in my heart. And I knew that I belonged to Him and that I had been set apart and that I was different and I was born again in the Spirit. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Um, I think that's so important, especially the people might not have grown up in your environment, but so many people grow up without a dad. And then mm -hmm. we tell them that there's a father who loves them, and that's a hard thing to grasp. Like, it just yeah. seems like, well, the only dad I've ever known was abusive and a jerk. And so mm -hmm. if people can take ownership, like you seem to have, that there's actually a good father, and there's a father who cares and loves for mm -hmm. us. It's, it's really transformative. Now, you say yeah. that you didn't have to, like, test the Book of Mormon or anything. You just saw Jesus, and Jesus was so valuable. Now, how come you didn't mm -hmm. just bring Jesus into your Mormonism? Because, you know, Mormonism talks about Jesus. What was it that you go, not only do I love Jesus, but I don't believe Joseph Smith or the Book of Mormon anymore? Mm. Yeah, great question. Um, I would say that it's because there was a huge uh, kind of conflict in my mind being taught about the Jesus in Mormonism was that Jesus wasn't God. And so as I was reading the New Testament and like just reading verse after verse that, that Jesus was made flesh, he was the word of God made flesh and he dwelled among us and he was God. Right. And so that just realizing that it was at a very young age that this Jesus of the Bible is different from the Jesus of Mormonism. Um, and also I, I realized that I didn't need Joseph Smith because mm -hmm. um, Jesus is my high priest. He's um, 
he had fulfilled everything that Joseph Smith claimed to be. And it, maybe it could have been because I hadn't been super indoctrinated in, in Mormonism, but, but it didn't really matter because as I um, still stayed in that community, um, people were trying to convince me of Mormonism over and over again, and I had to make a defense of the gospel, and I had to learn what it meant to be a Christian through the God and to, to seek it out to know how to answer these people. And so, yeah. Yeah. So you had to defend your faith pretty much. So you Mm -hmm. were, you were engaging in defending the Christian faith versus the Mormon faith, Mm -hmm. you know, at 13 years old, 14 years old, however old you were. So, um, -hmm. that probably gives you a really good insight for the next question is if two missionaries come riding through the neighborhood of some of our listeners, and we have listeners all over the world, if there are two Mormon missionaries are riding their bikes and they have a chance to stop and talk to them, what are some of the most important things that, if they only have five minutes, what are some of the things that they can say that might have the most impact? Hmm. I would focus on, on obviously loving them. The first impression that you give them, you want them to feel that you you want them to know that you love them and that you genuinely uh, want the best for them because I feel like that really opens their hearts um, to to what you're going to say next. And I would focus on um, on salvation and if they feel like they're good enough for God. And so I would ask the question, like, if you were to die today, have you done enough um, good works to be with father for eternity. And so yeah. that would probably be one of the questions or also to, to ask them, um, like, do you know, do you know that, that you're safe in God's love, like completely? Um, yeah, those are some good questions to ask them. There's no, because uh, a Mormon, the ones I've talked to, and I, I just talked to some, uh, right after Christmas, and I asked them if they were saved. And of course, they're not. They're not saved yet. And we talked about if somebody was in a car accident and they wanted to know God and they were, only had a few breaths left, could mm-hmm. they tell them how to get to God? And they couldn't because they would have to go to temple. They would have to do all this stuff yeah. before they could get to God. And I showed, you know, Jesus tells the guy hanging on the cross next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, you can be with God from the moment that this body is done and never walk through a temple, never get all these, you know, you don't have to acknowledge Joseph Smith. You don't have to be married. Um, and I think that's one of the great burdens mm-hmm. that Mormonism puts on young women, that basically God won't accept you unless you have a husband. That You mm-hmm. have to be married to reach the celestial kingdom. And th- that Mother Teresa, you know, or, or somebody who is... Uh, live their whole life to pursue mm-hmm. God, doesn't matter unless she's married. And then the husband has to call mm-hmm. her by her, the, the name up to that. Like the husband's required. So there's almost a yeah. level of sexism in the Mormon church. Um, I'm so thankful mm-hmm. that you have got the testimony that you do. Do you spend much time interacting with Mormons? Um. I do, yes. A lot of my family members. True, true. Yeah. 
and also I guess online ministry um, have lots of opportunities to to message with the Mormons that reach out to the ministry and stuff. And obviously when we're traveling on the road, uh, we encounter Mormons as well that actually come to our events sometimes and have some great questions. So we get to talk about that. Um, also, if we just see Mormon missionaries when we're on the road, we like to talk to them at the Walmarts and yeah. stuff. So that's always been fun. You guys actually have a, a bad reputation among Mormons. I, I will talk to Mormons <laughs> and ask if they've heard of you and they rolled, oh gosh, those guys, right? <laughs> Be, because they, they think you're apostates, that you're, and there's, there's not very many people that they say that go to outer darkness, but one of those ones that are, are people like you and me, because we fight the church, the quote unquote yes. church. And so to them, we're about as bad as it gets. We are fighting God's prophet of Joseph Smith. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about this ministry, Adams Road. Uh, let the listeners uh, tell them how they can get in touch with you, but tell you kind of what, uh, what you guys do. Yeah, I would love to. So as you said, we're Adams Road Ministry, and we actually travel all around the United States and Canada and even in Mexico. We do a four-month uh, four month touring season starting in the summer to the end of the fall. And so we, we do that uh, every, every year, God willing. And we do testimony and music. So what you'll get is um, each of us, four of us that have left Mormonism for Jesus, you'll hear our testimony and you'll hear um, biblical music. So we take the Bible and we put it to music. (laughs) So we love to do that. And also we own and operate a bed and breakfast that takes care of our personal and financial needs so that then we can offer anything within the gospel free of charge. So if you book us, then it's for free. You don't have to to pay anything. That's incredible. I just, that blows my mind that you guys travel all over the U.S. and you give out your music, right? Like, like here's a CD and it's free. Here's, we'll come and we'll perform. Because I have people say, hey, our band would like to come to your church can you pay us $2,000? And I'm like, no, no, I can't. But you guys do this ministry. Um, and it's incredible uh, how emotionally charged this is, the testimony time. Even though it's, you tell it all the time, the level of emotion that comes through because for people who grow up in the Christian church, sometimes we forget how sweet grace is. But for people like you and the rest of the band, that grew up enslaved in a religion of perform for God or he won't care for you. Mm-hmm. To hear that he actually loves you no matter what is incredible. And so I, I it's just... It's amazing grace. It, it, that, what a good idea for a song. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we, all of our music is for free and you can order it online. We'll ship it to you anywhere in the world for free and you can download it on iTunes. And we have a free materials website where you can get Jesus is Enough stickers, bumper stickers, yeah. witnessing cards that say Jesus is Enough and has it walks you through the process of uh, salvation. And, um, yeah, some good Christian books also will give you that for free and Bibles ship it out for free. So if you want to check that out, it's just at our website, Jesus isn't, it's at, um, adamsroadministry.com. Yeah. And Jesus is enough. is kind of your slogan. It's on your bus. It's on your t-shirts. And 
I, I think mm-hmm. absolutely, because that's that is the message to Mormons, and that is the message to. I don't know if people in um, the environment that you grew up in will ever hear this podcast. I don't know how popular podcasts are in polygamous uh, <laughs> groups. Uh, probably not a lot of them, right? Probably not a lot of them. But just the idea that Jesus plus nothing is everything. That's all you need. But you try to add anything Amen. to Jesus and it ruins everything. And so yes. Jesus is enough. He's sufficient for, for all our needs. Is there, anything, is there anything that you would like to, any part of your story that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you would like to add to? Sorry, can you repeat the question? It kind of cut out right in between. Yeah, no, you're good. Is there any part of like your testimony that we didn't get to that you would really like to address? Yes, I would love to. Um, so actually, so I got saved when I was um, around 13 years old, and I wanted to make it public to my friends and my family and my community. So I was actually baptized by my uncle, and I made it public in the community that I was a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. And so that that symbolized symbolized my discipleship of taking up my cross and following Jesus and losing my life so that I could find it. And so just realizing that there was a cost to this discipleship. Jesus says, lose the world and you'll gain me. If you love father and mother and sister and brother more than me, you're not worthy of me. And whoever is ashamed of me is not worthy of me. And so just to to read that as a 13-year-old and just contemplating that that cost of discipleship and to not be ashamed of the gospel was huge for me because I had to, to live in a household where um, they were Mormon um, or non-religious. And so that really grew my faith to just um, to know what I believed and just growing um, in my faith and helping my aunt and uncle with the, the music in that in that Bible study that turned into a church building. So it's called Cologne, it's called Calvary Chapel LeBaron. Um, in that polygamous community, there's actually a Christian church now, wow. and it's the only Christian church in the polygamous community. And so that's something really exciting. That's incredible. That sounds like so a good place to take of, a mission trip to. You should totally. It's All a right. very unique um, mission trip because you don't really have to know that much Spanish yeah. because there's a lot of English-speaking um, people there. And my aunt and uncle, they speak English. And so you could really go there and serve. Um, and a lot of uh, the famous families, they kids off at mm. this church because it's kind of like a free daycare. Right. But it's a great opportunity to teach these children about Jesus at a very young age, which I'm so thankful I had that opportunity. Yeah. Because for me to, to be saved from darkness to light at a young age. It's just a huge treasure that I don't take for granted because I don't know where I would be if my aunt and uncle didn't uh, just kind of take that step of faith and move to the community and be a light there. And it's not easy for them and it wasn't easy for them. And that was a huge step for them in their discipleship of just giving up the comforts of their retirement or kind of living in the United States, but to go down to a messy community and share the Bible so that these kids can can know the gospel was just a, a beautiful thing that I'm thankful for. Yeah, and it even sounds like it's in a dangerous environment in today's culture in Mexico. That that it's yes. it, that's a real 
I mean, there are missionaries. There are real missionaries that have gone into an environment where people didn't agree with them and their, their mm-hmm. lives can be a danger at times. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd be really interested in uh, seeing if we can maybe put a group together uh, from our local church or congregation. We've actually been talking, uh, a few of us, about uh, a more maybe going to Salt Lake again, which we've done before, but uh, I like the I, sound of something like this. Uh, is there anything else? You got anything else that you, you want to add? Um, I think that's pretty much it, except for that there is a movie coming out about Micah's testimony. Yes, yes. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough movie. (laughs) Will that be in theaters? Is that on, uh, that be streaming on Pure Flix or something? How, how can people get on board and get to know what's happening with this film? So we're still working on all of that, but it'll be released sometime, uh, 2021. So it will be in theaters, um. But yeah, just look forward to that Jesus is Enough movie. We're super excited. And that, and so people who don't know who Micah is, that's one of the uh, founders of Adam's Road. And uh, it's about his journey coming out of Mormonism. And that's, a, again, an incredible... I might have to have him on and share his testimony as well. Totally should. We'll, we'll just go for the next five podcasts. We'll just be each member of the band, right? That was just, uh, <laughs> Lila, thank you so much for taking time. And uh, I hope that we can have you and the band as you come through this way next time can, can have you stop and share your talents with us. But we want to be praying for you guys. We want to be supporting you. You guys live um, like the new Testament church more so than most people I know. And and I I don't want to be flattering, but I just love how they have this job that they work so that they can do their ministry for free. And they, they spend a lot of time on the road away from friends and families just sharing the gospel, and they're not traveling evangelists that are looking for a handout or trying to make a career out of it. You guys have, like, uh, the tent business in the New Testament, right? He, he made tents, and then he would do his ministry, and that's how you support mm-hmm. yourself, and that's just, that's phenomenal, and it takes yeah, away so much stuff. ammo from those who would try to accuse you of doing it for, oh, you're just trying to get a bunch of money. It takes away so much yeah. ammunition, the fact that you do this for free shows it's really a movement of God. So thank you. Yeah, praise um, God. We'll be praying for you guys. And let me just close with a word of prayer. Can I do that? Yes, of course. Father God, we thank you for Lila. We thank you that you you pursued her. Father, you sent uh, people to share the good news of Jesus with her, that you rescued and redeemed her. But Father, you didn't just save her to be saved. You saved her to give her, to give her a purpose. And Father, she is living that purpose out, communicating your good news with those that she runs into on a daily basis. Father, I pray that her family, her entire family, all 32 brothers and sisters would see a transformation in their lives and get to know you in the same manner that she does. Lord, we thank you for the light that pushes away the darkness. Amen. Amen.